Hello and welcome to the Tacona Morning Drive podcast. This episode I am joined by Paul Gardner, the founder of Speedbroker. We got together to go through how Speedbroker was formed, talk a bit about Paul's history and kind of just chew the fat, get a bit of mental health conversation in there and really just demonstrate how conversation can happen. Paul and I don't know each other all that well, so this was a really nice opportunity for us to to have a bit more of a proper chat from the little bits and bobs that we've done at car shows before. It's a really nice episode. We really get into it and I hope you enjoy it too. So on with the podcast. I've hit record now. Yeah, it's fine. Because we have already started chatting and I think it's important that we actually say the stuff because it's interesting conversation. Yeah. And obviously this is designed to be a conversation. Um, so I'm joined with Paul today. Uh, it's Gardner, isn't it? It's Gardner, yeah. 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 I'm the worst person named. I, I know that you drive an M4 and you've had a Maserati Gran Turismo and I know Paul from Speedbroker. <laughs> so it's always Paul and I'm terrible with names. But as I've said, from Speedbroker. So the, the only question that I do have for every guest is who are you and what do you do? Um, well, you've said my name. Yep. I'm not giving account details. <laughs> What's not, the three-digit security It's not something about? I do freely. It's, I think it's six, four. No, it's not. Um, yeah, so I'm a, a business owner. I run a business called Speed Broker. Um, in essence, it's a concierge service for car owners. Um, I deal less with the trade. I deal more with end users, uh, private individuals, private car collectors uh, around the UK. And the business was conceived through uh, a very long journey, a, a big roller coaster of life. I think this is where led me here. this podcast came from, is you dropped me a message saying, I've got an interesting story, you'd yeah. like to hear it. Yeah. Um, and I'm always one for an interesting story. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like we've got an interesting tale to weave before we get to where Speedbroker actually is I th- now. I think so, yeah. And I think having it in a linear way will probably work best as well. No, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of go back to the beginning, really. So um, I was very much, well, I thought that life was very much about getting your head down, going to school, getting a degree, mm. specialising in what you wanted to do, and then going to work. Yeah. So I, I sort of followed that pattern. You know, I wasn't particularly a high achiever at school, but I did well. I didn't, didn't really do any homework or revision. I just did okay. Yeah. And I decided I wanted to go into uh, design, particularly automotive design. And I ended up going to university to do automotive design. Um, however, I didn't do much work in my first year of uni at all. Does anybody? Didn't do much. The only thing I did, the only thing I did at uni was we had one project where we had to build a little robot on right. wheels, like a, I don't know, I guess you'd call it like a car type robot. Yeah. And you had to set it down a track and it would steer itself right okay which i found amazing the practical side was brilliant but me being me i would go to the resources and i would just ask for the most the most powerful motors yeah yeah. give me the most powerful motors give me this give me that and i think it went around two corners and it just flew off across the room (laughs) just like crashed into a few people's desks or something like a scale yeah but that was that was probably the best bit about mine i just uh that, that little robot but after that technically i quit Um, I was told by my uh, tutor that he sort of said, look, you can defer for a year, come back. Um, And I thought, yeah, I'll I'll take a year off and see what I want to do. 
And I ended up getting a job. My first job was in Halfords. Right. So I did parts advising, um, bike building, yeah, all, all that sort of stuff. Um, but then I got a job as an estate agent, initially as a junior. And then I went to a private uh, business in North London. And the guy who owned that was also a developer, investor. He had various things going on. So I had a, a quite a, a lucrative and fairly long career with him, mm. which then branched off to um, development projects and changing commercial properties to residential, all this sort of stuff, planning land. I went down that tangent. Um, ultimately, about five years into that, um, I had just kind of had enough of the environment. Yeah. Um, great education for property, but I'd had enough. So... He offered to fund me whilst I did my own development projects. Right. Okay. So he would fund. He said, well, if you don't want to work for me, work with me. Yeah. Um, I'll fund. You buy, do the projects, and then we'll profit split. So I did that for a while um, and then realised it kind of wasn't going to be what I thought it would be. Um, when someone funds you, as much as the, um, the end result is a profit split, because it's their money, their investment, yeah. they're very much in control. So they can change things along the way. They can decide to sell a contract on, not do this, not do that. So, I, so you're basically working for him. You kind of are. <laughs> yeah. you kind of working for him. So I kind of backed off. Um, and then another a client of mine who I knew from property, who I'd sold many things to, he approached me saying, I heard you were doing this. How about you do it with me? Although this time I'll give you a lot more control. Mm. Uh, I put a bit of my money in as well, and we started, you know, buying up houses in um, North London and doing projects. And you know, I was only twenty three at the time, right? And I had these people from school like working for me. I had like builders in and stuff, and you know, I thought I was building this big empire. Yeah, and it was um, at that age, it was unreal. You know, it it gave me certainly the finances I need to buy vehicles and whatever i wanted to do at the time yeah and then one day uh, i can't go into index there's lots of factors to this but the bottom line is i woke up one day and tried to pay someone who was working for us and um with a card it was a business that i was trying to pay and it and it bounced I was like you know it wouldn't go through the card and um it turned out that this guy had emptied our business account and fled to miami Jesus. With a drug habit that I was unaware of. Um, Just took so, it around. I mean, lots happened before this. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there was, um, this is going to sound like something out of a Hollywood movie. There was a stabbing. He got stabbed and he had a car jacked from him. This, this was all building up to the actual event. Yeah. But he'd had a, he had a new uh, SL55 AMG. This is 2004. And um, that was car jacked and stabbed by. Some people who were after him, and Jesus. I was just a tw- twenty-three, twenty-four-year-old in the corner, naive to the world. Naive, right? really. Yeah, I was never involved in that part of you know society. It wasn't for me. I was just, I was just trying to build this empire. Yeah, and you know, you, you a lot of the world thinks that um, your status is based on what you own and your wealth. And what happened was a very big wake-up call as to what the world is actually about. Yeah. And as much as you, you know, need 
finance, it's not it's not what makes me tick at all anymore. At no, all. me neither, to be fair. And no. I'm currently in the position where I've been looking for new jobs and things like that because Dakona doesn't pay the bills yet. It'd be nice one day, but it doesn't. And I've had this conversation where there, were, there was a role that I applied for, which was in marketing because I like being creative. And the same company had another role, which was business development manager, which is what I used to do. And he said, right, we'll talk about them both and we'll see which one you seem to gel most with. Within about 10 minutes, I was like, wow, you really don't seem to want to do this business. I was like, I'm not motivated by money. I don't get fulfilment from sales. But a lot of people can't understand that. Yeah, yeah, but you make more money. It's like, yeah, but I'll just buy a faster car. Exactly. All I'll do is just buy a nicer car and I'll get a house a little bit quicker. Yeah. But I'll still be, I'll be miserable. Yeah. I've been there and done that. Yeah, It made me miserable. This is the problem, right? So if you're always basing it on how much money you've got and what car you've got, you will never get to where you need to be, yeah. ever. You'll get a car and you'll drive it for six months. It will become an old thing or not fast enough or not new enough. So you want to buy a new one yeah. and you'll need more money. And it just, it's just this vicious cycle. It keeps going and going and going. And um, I'll tell you a little anecdote, a little small, small anecdote here. I went to a client uh, who lived on a farm and he's got various machinery and cars, etc., etc. And in the corner of his farm, as you come in, there's like a, it was almost like an old gypsy caravan, but it was very large. Yeah. And there was a guy living in there. He was, he was out. He was on his stove and right. cooking up and stuff. And uh, it kind of fascinated me because it didn't fit in with the rest of the farm. Yeah. And I, in the end, I said, "What's the situation over there? Is that is it? Is he part of your family, or does he is he security, or what does he do?" He said, no, he's, he's this guy that um, he was a stockbroker right? and had all the money in the world, still, I think, kind of maybe does, so I'm not really sure, had a bit of a breakdown, decided to sell everything, sold cars and his house in town and everything like that, yeah, yeah. approached this farmer who was an old friend and just said, look, I just want a bit of land, I want to pitch up somewhere and I want to live there. And he's been there for a few years apparently and he's the happiest person you can ever be. He comes in, chats to everyone, no stress, no dramas. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, do you know what? I kind of want to be that guy. Yeah. Like, sell everything or, you know, I don't know whether he lost it or whether he sold it, I don't know. But he doesn't have the material stuff. Yeah, yeah. And he's swanning around, he's as happy as anything. I thought, God, we should all try and be that guy. No, I know yeah. exactly what you mean. Just that, that lack of caught in the rat race makes such a huge difference. Yeah. And <clears throat> to a certain extent, I've had, so the, the job that I'm leaving, fingers crossed, I'm being made redundant, I'll get some money out of it and that'll make things ching, a little ching. bit more comfortable. You're going to buy a car and then yeah. another car and then another car. I've already got an exhaust <laughs> header that I want yeah, yeah, yeah. lined yeah, this up. Is a, this is a problem. Um, but the the role that it was, I, blah, 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 I've basically been managing a warehouse for the last couple of months mm. and that job actually only takes about an hour and a half to do, but they still make you stay. Mm. So I've been taking my laptop and doing bits and bobs. I don't think I've been quite so content as I have at 11 o'clock in the morning in an office that isn't mine, mm. with nobody else around me, with my laptop being paid to sit and just go, I wonder what I'll find interesting today. Yeah. With no, like, the bills are paid, I've not got to worry about, because money's coming in from That's the, the key factor. there and stuff like that. You, it, you've got to cover yourself. Yeah. And again, the only problem is, is that everything is you know, bumping up by the day. Yeah. So covering yourself is actually becoming, you know, a big job in itself. Yeah. You know, forget about the disposable income, just to get by. Yeah, yeah, just paying the bills, keeping yeah. the lights on, is getting yeah. tougher and tougher. And then adding to that, if you're in any way in a car enthusiast, petrol is now yeah. £2 a litre. I know, I know. 
and it cost you twice as much as yeah. it did in March 2020. I am driving less. Are you driving less? I'm not at the minute. The last two weeks yeah, I've got you've all been over the place because I'm podcasting and trying to get a few in before yeah. I go back into nine to five life. Um, but yeah, I've probably spent more time not wanting to be out. Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's expensive. Is it worth the drive? I always used to do, I went through a period, again, I'll probably get to that, but I went through a period where almost every night I was just going out for a leisure drive. Yeah. Every night. I was driving all over the country. I'd end up in Wales and all sorts of weird and wonderful places. And I have no, I mean, I am in a different place to when I was doing that. Yeah. But I don't sit at home and think to myself, I want to go out for a leisure drive. Yeah. Because I know that I think, well, I've, I put, you know, I put 80 quid in it a couple of days ago. That'll be gone as soon as I like, yeah, yeah. step out the front door. I did, for the first time probably this year, I went for a drive for the sake of getting out of the house and mm. going for a drive last week. And that's only because my other half was like away yeah. for the night. Yeah. And I spent like the whole day just kind of low energy, not yeah, really yeah, wanting yeah. to do anything. I was like, I can't even be asked to cook. I know, I'll use, this, I'll use going and getting some food as my excuse to just yeah, go yeah, for yeah. a ride. Because we moved to a new, we've just moved house. We're in a new place. I thought it's an opportunity to explore. So I fired up my Renault Five, which is the cheapest car that you could buy. Yeah, and I just cruised around. Is that good off now? No, it's It's terrible. Is it? Because it just kicks. It's got a carburetor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is probably impossible to get it tuned right. Yeah, it just coughs and splatters. It'll do about thirty to the gallon if I'm lucky. Because it's got five gears, so it'll do sixty and it'll cruise. Wow. But if I'm lucky, it's thirty to the gallon. Wow. And the 86 is 30 on a good day. I'm surprised that doesn't get a little bit better. It does if you sit at 55. Yeah. Someone yeah, yeah. on the, the 86 owners club the other day posted, oh, I managed to get my average to 55 mile an hour, uh, 55 Listen mpg. And we were like, how have you done that? It's like, I'll just stay behind the lorries. It's like, 55. you yeah. might as well be in a van then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's such a boring way to travel. It is boring, isn't it? Like, it's... If you sit at 65, 75 in that yeah. gap, you get probably 35, 40. Yeah, if you yeah. don't have roundabouts or anything like that. Yeah. As soon as you throw a roundabout into the mix, you can just watch the thing go down. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? It is interesting. I, th- I think it'd be a little better than that, the 86. But, it's um, a flat four as well. It's not like That is the thing, isn't it? Yeah, four. I know it's non, non-turbo, but still, it's like it's still that flat four. Yeah. That, that, yeah. And it's yeah. got the variable valve stuff, so yeah. it, you can kind of just about manage it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... I've had it for six years. I'm used to... I think it's a good car, mate. It's a great car. It's a great car. I've ruined it by putting it on coilovers. I like coilovers. And big wheels. Coilovers are good. Yeah, except every bump now. (laughs) You go through like a cobbled road and you're like, right, everything's about to fall off. Yeah, what what coilovers do you put on it? They're Tyne, Teen, Tyne. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, The the green ones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, T-E-I-N. Yes. Yeah, I I had them on my um, Evo 10. I'd like some BC... Racing ones, yeah, but they're like three times the price. Yeah, I'd yeah. like to sweet talk BC into <laughs> sponsoring me. Keep some. going, keep going. Yeah, yeah, BC. You know what? You should really sponsor Lewis if well, you're listening. <laughs> there's a. I've got a fun story about BC. So they used to do a, like a sim competition at car shows. Mm. The fastest time of the day would win a set. And uh, a friend of mine who was like a semi-pro carter when he was a kid and has grown up at Silverstone, basically, mm. he would win every time mm. to the point where they bla- like banned him from having it. Like, oh, you're here. You're not allowed <laughs> to go. Yeah. Um, and I went to Jetfest a few years ago with a friend of mine who his dad has an Aston Martin Vulcan or had one. And to drive that, you basically yeah. have to be a GT3 driver yeah. just to be able to drive it without crashing. Yeah. So we were at this thing. I went, 
do you fancy just jumping on there and winning me a set of coilovers? He's like, yeah, 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 I'll get around to it. Never bloody did. I was like, in theory, you owe me a set now. <laughs> Never got a set of coilovers out of him. Oh but I was like, God. it'll take you a minute and a half just to Yeah, just to win it, it yeah. and say it's for a GTA. You I'll give you 20 quid. Yeah. And he was like, no, oh, can't be asked. I was like, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, all these sponsorship deals that people manage to get. I've honestly, I've, I don't think I've ever once approached a company to get sponsorship. Not one. I, there's a certain amount of cheekiness to it. Massive. I just never. It's never entered my mind to do that. I've been mm. approached a few times to work with some people, um, especially when I was when my business was doing the valeting and detailing. I had so many uh, companies approaching me to try and be. Um, exclusive to them right yeah and I, I turned one i worked with briefly for a short space of time a really good company actually it's called michelin king um they tend to sort of specialize more in the high-end waxes right. although they do do a product range so we worked with them for for a while and, and it worked very well um i still would work with them um but i think especially with detailing it's very hard to get a company where you use every product and be happy with it mm. they might make a great tire shine but their i don't know their detailer spray might not be good enough for yeah, yeah. you know or a wax they have doesn't bead enough or whatever it might be there's always you, some you, little yeah and and also there's there isn't a right and wrong with detailing you know all these detailers are out there saying you must use this you must use that there are so many products now yeah that it's what you work the best with what works for you what gets you in a flow what you're happy what and what gets you the best results yeah, yeah. you know i know people that swear on certain products that i can't stand hmm. and i also swear on certain products that they can't stand yeah so, but you both get good results, but we both get right. the, the result yeah you know it's just what you get used to and what you're happy to work with yeah of course um says that um it's an interesting world that exists really isn't it like, well, it's got so madder much. and madder it has got madder and madder but um where did I get to? With, um, uh, I was, I was. Um, your man had just run off to Miami after being stabbed. And so he got, he got stabbed. Ended up in hospital in the Royal Free Hospital. That all happened. Um, that car got taken. Um, it was a mad, mad time. Uh, I think at the time uh, we'd bought we bought the SL fifty five and I bought a, um, a a Dodge Ram SRT like quad cab. One with the Viper with the Viper engine. engine yeah, cheap. It was the, it was the stupidest one of the stupidest cars I've ever had, and I only had it for about uh, three weeks, something like that, because uh, it was. Ju- I mean, fuel with that was yeah. just. Plus, I had this thing. I, I was. I've never been one to really race, especially off off lights. But that I wanted to just race everyone, just, just because prove, you're in a truck, you're just like, to ah. prove. And if you did, you'd just like get the back end going. Nope, I'm just gonna just light up and just do nothing. <laughs> so it was, it was entertaining anyway. It's good fun. But yeah, we'd got all them. But um, he'd gone off to Miami left me in a very, very bad position because I had about, I think across all the sites, there was about 30 builders that come the Friday, they wanted their money. Yeah, yeah. That he'd taken. So, um, yeah, I, I had to beg and borrow from the bank and um, extend overdrafts and all sorts of stuff, try to kind of get square with a lot of the builders. Mm. Um, and then these properties were empty. I tried to get a couple of them finished, uh, but... Um, I couldn't do it, so it, it left me in a situation where I, to be in hindsight, I should have gone bankrupt. Yeah, I should have just gone bankrupt. And my accountant said to me at the time, "You should just go bankrupt because you don't have to worry about those, you know, responsibilities in six years' time. You're up and running. Yeah. You can keep your assets." And I said, "You know what? I know technically it's not my fault, but I don't want to go bankrupt. Mm. Like I want to own it, and I want to try and pay it back." 
and it was t- really tough for a couple oh, of years. Yeah. I went back to working for an estate agent, a good agent. Again, I specialised in land, new homes. Um, until 2009, when I set up um, my valeting business, which started as Kick Valeting. Um, and then it went to Kick Detailing, and then we had a Kick Customs. So... Yeah, that that exploded really. The first year was very hard um, getting it off the ground. I didn't, I didn't start with much money at all. I think, I think, I started on about seven thousand pounds of kick. Right. It was a, it was, it started as a Peugeot partner van. Right. And I had a little plan, and I thought to myself, I don't want to be a valeter that goes from office block to office block and yeah. cleans cars, but that'll be my way in because I thought, look, if you look at the hierarchy. You've got the guys who want a £15 clean, because that's what it was back then. Quick mm. £15 in that clean. But the directors of that business, some of them will be into cars, and they'll have cars in the garage and tucked away. So that was my goal, to get the real car enthusiasts that are driving things they really want to look after. Yeah. And it worked out that way. We, we got exactly what we wanted. Well, it makes sense. You just go, oh, did you know we also couldn't come yeah, to your and, house? Yeah, and, and, and that was the way that we really did it. We'd, went, we'd go in and we wouldn't just be, look, I'm your car cleaner. I'd mm. go in and say, look, we pamper cars. You know, we, we're the ones that look after your cars. And really, back 2009, there wasn't many people doing it. Yeah. There was a handful of people, really. So to get someone who's coming in there and saying, you into your cars? Yeah, I am. Look, get us round to your house and we'll, we'll have a chat. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, we started doing that, and then uh, then it goes on to a whole other adventure that, again, I can't name names or go into it, but um, we ended up going on Gumball, right. which exploded the business. Yeah, it just went mad, and we had clients everywhere. We had clients in France and all around the UK. Um, Funny thing is, I, I don't know whether it's the last one or the one before. Oh, it's, it's just come out today, actually. With John Markar, mm-hmm. who was the John, yeah, yeah, manager yeah. for the Gumball. So John, um, we don't actually know each other. Well, we do. We know who each other are. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we've... I think I've met John maybe once or twice, but yeah, we don't actually... But it's funny that I've had zero connection to the Gumball other yeah. than watching the videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And within the space of one day, the podcast with John has went out this morning. Yeah, I did it, yeah. And obviously now we're... <laughs> no, John's a cool guy. He's really a cool nice guy. guy. He's had some wicked cars... You know, he's into sort of my sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But I, d- I don't, you know, we don't... It's, it's one of those where the two worlds... It's one of those people crossed, that you yeah. know who they are. You just haven't interacted, like, for any sort of length of time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Gumball was really, really good for us. And we did a lot of travelling with Gumball. Um, and, yeah, so off the back of that, we had a lot of clients. And they wanted things like wraps and stuff like that. At the time... We were affiliated with a couple of people in the wrapping industry, but I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to launch my own uh, business. And there were some guys who were learning how to wrap up, not wrap as in, you know, my rums are a lot, the kids run around like they like me, you know, that sort of thing, <laughs> whatever. But, you know, they were, they were learning how to wrap vehicles, and, but they weren't in the industry at all. Yeah. They were actually in a side industry. Um, and I approached and said, look, I've got the clients. Um, we should form a partnership. We started Kit Customs, um, started dealing with a lot of um, YouTubers and all sorts of people and uh, Towie and Made in Chelsea and all these sort of people. And long and short of it is, and I won't say exactly what happened, but 
um, I felt that, not I felt, it was absolutely true that the partnership was, um, let's say, uh, quite toxic. Yeah. So I knocked it on the head and then they went off and didn't do much. I went off and set up a new workshop. Um, and then, yeah, it, <laughs> it's very hard for me to say what happened without Naming people names. knowing what this is about. Yeah, yeah. And the people who are close to me know exactly who I'm talking about. And they know, <laughs> and I can, if, if anyone is listening that, that knows me, they know what I'm talking about. But basically, they were approached by a YouTuber um, who kind of helped them launch Something their business else. again. Yeah. Uh, and then I went off and did, did my, my own thing. Then was the real dent in my life. So two, 2000, we were flying, uh, December 2014 came. Um, the workshop was manic. We yep. were busy. Uh, we were doing everything, mechanical and uh, wraps, alloy wheels, mods, you know, general tuning. Yeah. And I was in the workshop uh, late one night. It must have been early December 2014. Um, must have been 10 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. We're trying to finish up, but it's Aston Martin for a customer. And I hadn't been feeling great for a couple of days, but I was okay. So I went to walk towards my desk and I had a little sort of sofa thing. I thought I'd take sit down for five minutes. And the next thing I know, I'm in the back of an ambulance. Jeez. The next thing I know, I'm just in the back of an ambulance. So they sort of said that I'd, I'd, I'd collapsed and was kind of unconscious technically. Jeez. Um... So we went to the hospital, got checked out, couldn't really find anything wrong at the time. And, and I just thought, look, I'm, I'm overworked. Yeah, I, yeah, I have a habit out. of doing this. Yeah. That's my personality. I, I overwork and I don't take enough time out, yeah. which I'm working on. I have to work on it. Um, so I took a day off, went back to work. Same thing happened again, out cold, back in hospital, woke up in hospital. So I sort of thought, okay, if I got like, you know, maybe sort of an underlying infection or something's not right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did the same thing again. I thought I'd take two days off. So I took two days off, back to work. This time I was in a client's driveway, out cold. Jeez. When I woke up the third time, I thought something's massively wrong. Yeah, it's not like attributed to the workshop or anything like that. This is, I'm not right. Something is really, really wrong. And then it started a year of um, hospital uh, consultants, cardiologists. And um, I got diagnosed with with a condition called POTS, um, which is hard to explain what it is, but it's a syndrome that your body's automatic responses don't quite work as they should. So it causes a dramatic increase in your heart rate and then your body just goes right done, out cold. But it brings on a lot of other symptoms, brings on a lot of chest pain, uh, heart rhythm problems, headaches, all sorts of horrible problems. Uh, And then, you know, they they found out from there that uh, I had a valve that was shot in my heart basically as well. So and that could have either caused the POTS or the POTS caused the valve. They weren't quite sure. So, but that then not, had a massive knock-on effect. I, I lost the business. Um, I had some very big financial struggles. Um, the, I, was, I was married previously. Yeah. That, I think, started the bad things in, within the marriage. Got divorced. 
Um, it's as much stress on you. I had, yeah. um, you know, I had investment properties. I lost them. Uh, I had uh, another house. It sounds like you almost turned that. into that guy in the caravan. Yeah. You almost yeah. got what you kind of wanted in a yeah. very horrible way. Yeah. So, but again, it's this, this thing about, um, it's about, the way, only way I can describe it, it's about ego and materialism. Yeah. And the fact is, if you can get by in life, the only thing really that is causing you to be so attached to these things is your ego. Yeah. And it's made me realise that being knocked off course in this way has changed me as a person dramatically. And it's given me a lot more empathy towards people's problems and issues. And obviously during this time, you know, it did massively affect my mental health, which is again what we're... We're really here to sort of talk about. Yeah, well, the the thing with the mental health stuff with the podcast is, it's one of those where, if it comes up, it comes mm. up. There's no real expectation that we go right. Let's have a therapy session. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me how you feel. Mm. Uh, it's not not the intention because there almost would feel like pressure for it, and the the whole conversation around mental health, especially from what I'm trying to do, is that it's. It doesn't need to have any pressure. Mm-hmm. We don't have to have the expectation that we're talking about it. It just needs to be okay to talk about yeah. if it comes up. Like, what I've found when I've been doing these podcasts um, quite often is that we won't have any mental health conversation mm. to start with. Mm. And then we'll get about an hour in. Yeah, And it, it takes about that hour, especially because I'm not doing this with like people that I've known well of course and i only have like three friends so it'd be a very short podcast series (laughs) if that was my only thing um and it takes about this hour for the general conversation the back and forth and kind of that exploring each other as Mm. people scenario to get to that comfortable stage where the mental health stuff kind of starts dripping in so so with me mental health is is quite a comfortable subject yeah and the, the reason for that is because my upbringing is that my dad was a psychologist right and my mum is a psychotherapist. Yeah. So I was raised where you can talk about mental health. This is going to be my kids because my partner's a psychologist. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah And yeah. I do this and I've worked yeah. in the hospital and things like that. So, so my dad's an education, or he was an educational psychologist. He's retired now. My mum was a social worker who also had a psychology degree. Yeah. Who's now, a, you know, she's just about to retire, but she's a psychotherapist. So mental health talk was completely fine in yeah. my house. You know, you could talk about depression, anxiety. When, when I was younger, I... I have experienced a lot of anxiety throughout my life and it's fine. You know, it'll be, you're anxious. Yeah. What are you going to do to get yourself in a comfortable situation? What, what, what things are you going to do day to day that will bring you into a comfortable environment? Yeah, yeah. So this was spoken about. So when really as the mental health um, issues have crept through, and I think, you know, you know, as well as I do that, the reason why you exist is because we've had a bit of a rough time in the car industry, people with mental health problems. Oh, big time. We've had, what, I think three suicides or four suicides? In the last, what, year and a half? Year and a half. That have been big and known. That, exactly. That's the big ones that we know about. That's not the ones that aren't that public. Yeah, exactly. So the ones that have been publicised and in the scene, it, it does seem it's from people who, certainly on the surface, their Instagram and their life seems... Happy, yeah, yeah. you know, happy. They're going to a lot of shows. They're mixing with car clubs. 
they're in the culture, they seem quite grounded, um, but they have had real issues mm. expressing what might be going on. They might not even know what's going on with well, them. There's a, another kind of asset or facet to that, that if you're in that position of being well-known, being kind of everything looks great, yeah. you then almost put this barrier that, oh, I can't be seen to be anything other than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then all of this might collapse. And again, like the reason I started doing this was my car is, I had a rough teenage life. And when I got my first car, that was my escape. It's how Ooh. I made all my friends. It was a big part of how I coped with a lot of crap. And obviously I've worked in the hospitals. and I've So it, my reason for doing the mental health stuff is it's very personal to me. But I see the need for it as yeah. well. Like the car community itself is an amazing thing. And it brings people together from all walks of life. Yeah. But it is still very much a blokes thing. And even though the car community is a great thing and it brings a lot together, there is also a lot of toxicity in it. Yeah. And it's breaking that. But it's. I think the issue when you're dealing with people who love cars is that we were talking about this materialism, but people do want to aspire to a certain car. Yeah. You know, they want a V10. They want. Yeah. You know, yeah. I won't be happy unless I've got a McLaren. Like they. That. Yeah. They want scissor doors or whatever they want with their cars you know they, they they want something and when they look at instagram i think it normalizes supercars easy and the problem is is that supercars are not normal no we're talking a percentage of the top of society yeah the top one percent less half a percent of people but because those Instagram pages are getting so many hits and so much exposure. These things are seen time and time and time again. Yeah. And then, I don't know, young James, who's 18 years old, who's driving a Fiesta with an ST body kit, they go, well, that's normal. How, why aren't I like that? Yeah, why yeah. can't I have that life? And that, in turn, will then dip this, this whole spiral of, of mental health problems. Yeah, and then... James in his Fiesta gets stigmatised for being a kid in a Fiesta. Like 100%. when we were at um, Petrolhenism last yeah. year, which is when we first actually yeah, yeah, met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we had a guy come up. He's, he was like, "I've got a Corsa. I can only afford a Corsa." Wicked. I love that Corsa. Wicked. There's everything I need. It gets me about. I put all of my heart and soul into it. Same with me in the '86. The '86 is a car that I can afford. Yeah. So therefore, that's the car that I drive. And he said. One of the biggest challenges for him is the stigma he gets for driving around in a course. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, you're off to Mackey's, picking up the teenage girl. All that shit that comes along mm. with driving a courser. And he said it causes him so much like stress and so much like, oh, I don't want to go to the car events. I yeah. don't want to be involved with the car clubs, even though they're the things that I love more than anything, because of that stigmatisation. Because, because of social media. Yeah, social media has done this. When I when I first started driving, and I was eighteen, nineteen years old, I drove an Astra with a body kit. Yeah, you know, well, actually, it was it was a one point six GL Astra. I bought it off my girlfriend at the time's mum. It was seventeen hundred quid. Yeah, and then it had RS two thousand side skirts, GTE bumpers. I loaded it. I put wheels on it and all this sort of stuff. It was the best car in the world to me. Yeah, but in essence, it was a bit of a shitbox. It was well, a bit of a shitbox. That's fine. Like, but there was no social media, so you could drive to a car meet, pull in. And just enjoy it. And everyone would be like, oh, cool, there's more modified cars coming in. Yeah, yeah. They didn't care. Whereas now, it's like, you know every car that's going to be at a show before you even go to the show. Yeah. Um, no, I get what you mean. There's a, a certain amount of the coffees and cars stuff that we do is the intentionally the opposite of that. Yeah. To bring all these walks of life together. We yes. get a, 
We have this young guy, and he has a, I think it's a Chevrolet Lissetti. Brilliant. Or a Deu yeah. something. D- obs- just the front look a bit like a Transformer. A little bit. Yeah, yeah, I think I know what you mean. It's quite angled. Yeah, and it's yeah. got white racing stripes down it. Yeah, yeah It's on yeah. steel wheels. It's got yeah. big red mud flaps. And the kid's like 17. It's his first yeah. car. He turns up in that, and like six people will go, this is wicked. Yeah. It's different. It's unique. You're making it your it own. About. You're part of the community yeah. just for being in that. And like the my little Renault cost me five hundred quid. Yeah. It, in all aspects of a car, it's a shit box. Yeah. Like a dent on one side, yeah. the paint's all lacquering, the bumper's held on with little Allen key bolts, and it always breaks down. The seats are all torn, and I get burnt, like branded from the little metal clips <laughs> yeah. inside them when it gets hot. But that car is so much more character. But it's got story. And it's got it's got it's got story. Yeah. And that thing, if anyone said, "Oh, there's a Renault Five coming," yeah. Oh, is it a turbo? No. Yeah. Oh, is it a mid-engine? No. Is it modified? No. Oh, it's just a little shitbox. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. And then I turn up in it, and I park next to bloody Zach's garage in his 300SL, yeah, 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 and we yeah, get yeah. photos together, and Richard Rawlins sits on it, and all yeah. that sort of stuff. And it's because of that, well, there's no stigma attached to it. There's and, no ego in that and car. And because it's different, there's no ego in the car. Yeah. And this is, and one thing that... Um, because I would say I'm a little bit different. I, I do keep myself to myself with, in the car world. Certainly recently, the last year, year and a half, I felt I've needed to have a little bit of distance. Mm. Um, just to kind of reignite my passion. Yeah. Because when I'm constantly going to these shows and seeing cars that I've seen a billion times on Instagram, it loses that magic. Yeah, I know. Exactly. And what I used to love is, you know, I was... I, I wasn't grown up. I know, you know, my parents uh, sort of in this psychologist background, but they've always worked for local um, authorities. I didn't, you know, I wasn't grown with privilege. I wasn't raised in a big house. I was very, I would say, middle of the road. Yeah. Very, very average upbringing. Two brothers, you know, I wore hand-me-downs from my older brother. That was my upbringing. I didn't have a dramatic upbringing. And what I used to love is that I do live, like the area I live, we live now, I've always lived fairly local there are some uh, very affluent areas around here. But I used to love, 20 years ago, driving in down in whatever car I had at the time, and I'd see like a, a 355 pull out. Yeah. And it was like a unicorn. It yeah, was like, yeah. oh my God, that is the best thing I've ever seen. It looks beautiful. It sounds beautiful. It's completely unobtainable. It's like out of this world. Yeah, yeah. And it was a 355. Now, you talk about a 355 and you go, oh, it's kind of an entry-level Ferrari. Even though it's not, they're going up, you know, 80, 90 grand. I saw one yesterday and you know, I walked away from it. I was like, there's a 355 there. I've seen them. Because they're amazing. Yeah, yeah. All these, all these cars that people think are kind of average are incredible. And then cars that are above... I mean, imagine if we didn't have Instagram. This is a question for you. How many people would own the cars they owned if Instagram didn't exist? I imagine it would be a lot fewer. A lot fewer. Yeah. A lot of people wouldn't tolerate the shit that comes along with no. a high-performance car. Yeah. Because nobody sees that bit on Instagram. Nobody no. sees the six grand clutch change. No. Or the 14,000-mile service that's an engine-out job. Yeah, yeah. Or the, the fact that your Ferrari won't start because yeah. it's Italian. Yeah. Like, nobody sees that side yeah, of Instagram. Yeah, 100%. There's a fair few now that are starting to go, oh, this is the reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got, like, the Ratarossa, and he'll go, look, look at this Ferrari, it's broken again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what a shame. But that, that's fewer people. 
I don't imagine there's as many people that would go, I've got this car because I like the character of it. The word flex basically wouldn't exist. Yeah. If we didn't have Instagram, it wouldn't, it wouldn't exist. Yeah, it's the same with like watches. People you know. wouldn't buy big flashy yeah. watches because they're uncomfortable and they weigh a lot. I, I got this Casio for my birthday a couple of weeks ago. And before this, I wore an Apple watch every day because it's convenient and it does a lot of I've, I've got one of This was, I think, my other half paid 20 quid for it, right? Yeah. And I've got probably seven or eight watches. Yeah. One of them looks kind of big and flashy and it broke at it's, a car event. Like the yeah, strap was yeah, disintegrated. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Literally sat yeah. down and the strap just fell apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, well, there's the flashiest watch I have gone. Yeah. And I've not been wearing a normal watch for ages because I've had the Apple watch and it buzzes when I get texts and things like that. And I've put this Casio on. It doesn't weigh anything. It doesn't intrude in my life in any way. It doesn't beep at me. It doesn't buzz. And I have not felt such a, like, weight Weight off your shoulder. So it, My phone's on silent and it doesn't vibrate. Yeah, it's yeah, in my yeah, pocket. Yeah. So if I've got notifications, I see them when I take it out of my pocket. Yeah. And the watch just tells the time and what day it is. I've got the same, but with the gold face. You know, yeah, yeah. I've got that on that one. So I'm, I am well into my watches. But after everything that happened, I, I sold quite a few. My granddad, my mum's dad was a jeweller. Right. So he always used to say to me, you know, buy a Swiss movement watch. Doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter. It, you know, if it doesn't matter what it is, as long as it's got a Swiss movement, It'll that's work. what you buy. Obviously, that's changed over the years. There's like Japanese movements that are very, very good. But you know, back in the day, I I'd, I'd wear a Submariner every day. Yeah. Every day, I've got it still, and it's wrecked. I don't think I. I mean, it is ruined. My granddad has worn an Amiga for fifty years. Yeah. And he's been a builder for all of his life, and this Amiga is it's had like three different glass changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like almost black inside. Yeah. And he's just it's he just a watch. It. It's a watch. It, it never watch. stops working. No. And so it, I I do like watches. Um, actually, what I'm wearing today is 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 really cool. Um. I can't know where I can name drop, but um, these aren't expensive at all. It's an American company called Sterling. All right, okay. And I've got three of these. I mean, honestly, they're not expensive watches. Yeah. But the the designs are unreal. The the build is good. The movements are good. And I mean, they're like they're no money at all, and I love them. Yeah. I absolutely love them. Funnily enough, so I've had by the time this comes out, that one will quite. So Henry Catchpole is a is a previous guest. Yeah. It's not out at time of recording, but it will be out by the time of release. Okay. And I think it was just after Father's Day that we'd recorded. So his wife bought him this watch that he'd been after. And it's 250, 300 quid watch, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's a guy who's a professional diver. Right. And who's getting annoyed that actual diving watches these days are so expensive because they're all attached to big names. Yeah. So if you want a diving watch that works, you have to pay two, three grand. Yeah. He's like, back when I started diving, there were a couple hundred quid, and you used them for the purpose that they were made for. So he started making some. Brilliant. So they're an amazing diving watch. And Henry's like, not that I'm ever going to use it for its function. I'm now using it for the story. But it's this amazing watch for like 250, 300 quid. I'd, I'd be really interested in finding out about that. I'll, I'll find out. All, what, all these little brands. Brand that's what excites me about watches. It's, like, it's, not, the, it's not how expensive they are. Um, it's, it's what they offer. And I think, again, it's like cars. It, um, watches are very personal. Yeah. So I've wa- I've looked at watches and I think that is perfect. It's exactly what I want. Yeah, yeah. And it could be anything. I mean, you know, I'm I'm a quite a big fan of Tissot. You know, yeah, they're yeah. good. Um, like Oris, rather the, the sort of the slightly cheaper, to, yeah, Swiss yeah. ones. Um, yeah. I mean, I've, I've had. I mean, I had a Breitling Bentley. Years I've ago. got a 1950s Breitling. 
Brilliant. But that's only because my dad's neighbours were jewellers. Yeah. It was yeah. like my 17th birthday or whatever. And he was like, oh, my dad got me a watch for my Brilliant. birthday. So I've got you one. Yeah, and yeah, they yeah. rented the house off him. So he just yeah. didn't get rent for a month <laughs> yeah, and yeah. got this watch yeah. instead. Yeah. And it, it's a lovely thing. And it's because it's from the 50s. It's not this big flash piece. Well, that's what... Very the, understated yeah. and very classic. Yeah. I think mine was a 2005 Brightling Bentley with the alloy wheel graft behind it. Oh, yeah. Um and back then, I'd wear it, you know, like, like trying to, you know, floss yeah, yeah. my wrist everywhere, like reaching over it's a always counter. Always pulling your hair. Yeah, <laughs> reaching over a counter and just going, how much was that again? And then just sort of hovering my hand over the counter. Um, and, and now I've got that watch in the drawer and I think, God, that is a disgusting watch. I look at it and go, that is awful. It's, it's part of your history, though. It's too big. Yeah. It's the, and this is when I was a lot slimmer, so it would have looked even bigger. You know, yeah, my, it probably doesn't look that big anymore on me, but... I pinched my dad's fake Rolex Daytona and yeah. wore it to school when I was like 15, 16. And that didn't fit, and it would always rub against the back of my hand. <laughs> and I had this red line across the back of my tendons. But I was always walking around like, oh, what time yeah, is it? Yeah, I know. And because it was so loose, you had to like flick your arm around for it to spin around. Yeah, you did. I think only one person ever recognised, oh, is that a Rolex? Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's real or not. Yeah. It's like, of course it's not real. <laughs> I know. I'm wearing it to school. <laughs> but what's so nice about Rolex is that, I mean, I know that there is stigma attached with owning Rolex. There is, definitely. But generally, they're very classic designs and they're, they're beautiful watches. Yeah. You know, there's... Um, They've got that reputation for a reason. Yeah, I mean, you can buy a date just, and it's just such a nice, um, subtle, very well built watch. Yeah, and I know they've gone up an awful lot, but it's 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 a lovely thing. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a the Tudor Royal as well. That's a lovely watch. It's similar, similar to a sort of date just. Yeah, I think my tastes are just getting a lot simpler as I'm getting older. I'm just getting. Uh, everything's kind of wound back a bit. I've turned the notch down. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's a... So it was my 29th birthday what, two weeks ago, 10 days ago, something like that. So I'm hitting that 30 mark next year, yeah. which I know anybody that's Old like... Mate. Anybody that's older than me is like, oh, you're still a baby. Like, Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I'm giving you my perspective. Yeah. Calm down. I get it. Um, but there's a thing about when you get to about 30 as a bloke, it's kind of when you actually reach maturity. Yeah. Like girls reach maturity a lot younger because they mature much faster. But for blokes, because we're slow and stupid, it takes us a lot longer to get to that kind of... Yeah. By the time you're 30, that's kind of who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. And having that realisation, getting closer to that, it's like you start to go, oh, I actually kind of know what I like and what I don't like, mm-hmm. what I enjoy, what gets me excited, what doesn't. And this isn't a, I know what my Pornhub preferences are. This is in general in mm. life. Like, you kind of, you know what makes you tick by that point. And it's Let me have a look at your um, oh, I don't use my laptop. On yeah, um, the laptop's for work purposes only. Midgets? Really? My yeah. missus only five foot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those, like, it's as you kind of mature and you kind of know who you are a bit more. And if you're anyone that has any sort of re- in, introspection on themselves, yeah. you'll probably have these moments. I think the people that take the longest to get mm. there are probably the least introspective and that's why it takes a bit of time for them to grow up. Which is why the things that have happened to me, yeah. I'm so glad happened to me when I was young. You know, I you know, I, I wouldn't ever compare myself to say someone like a I don't know, say a child actor. Mm. But if you look at someone like that, they have this great big sort of waft of say early success. Yeah. And then it plateaus or something happens or they don't become the the, the 
most popular thing anymore. Yeah, and yeah. they're unable to deal with that going forward. I kind of had a similar story. I went straight into work, very successful with property and what I did there. And then I had this enormous setback. Mm. But I'm so glad that setback happened. Because if it didn't, and I carried on on that traje- trajectory, yeah. I, I wouldn't be the same person now. Yeah, yeah. And I do think I'm the sort of person who definitely puts other people first and understands people's journeys and tries to help people as much as I can um, and also has backed off all this kind of materialism and that you have to have certain things in order to be shown as having a good status. Yeah, yeah. Um, opportunities in my life I've turned down that have been very lucrative because I'd feel that I'd sell out doing that. Mm. I'd go back to just, well, I'd just be earning money for the sake of earning money. Yeah. Why? You know, I'm doing what I'm doing now because that is the path I want to take. Yeah. And if I sacrifice income in the short period, so be it. It doesn't bother me because I'm happy and my main priority is being a dad and being a good partner. Yeah. Um, that is my priority. That makes a lot of sense. And it, it is probably a much more fulfilling way to live. In most part, yeah. I think when you put... But I also realise that I am... A, because of what's happened, I'm more than happy to put my uh, money on the line. Mm. I am a risk taker. Yeah. I'm ADHD like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> like it's quite, it can be quite bad at times, yeah. raining in my ADHD. My mind whizzes to a billion different things in any one time. Um, and what I do now is I used to react to something very quickly. So an opportunity would come my way that I wanted to do or a car I wanted to buy and I just go bang, buy it. Yeah. Don't think twice. Now I have these million thoughts going through my head. I know I'm going to take a risk because that is me and that is what I am. I am a risk taker and I'm happy to put myself on the line, but to get, to bring that to fruition, I spend a lot more time, you know, procrastinating, going over every eventuality. Yeah. That's what, that's what I do now before I then jump on it. I have to. I think there's probably a certain amount of that happens in the inverse scenario as well. Yeah. If so, I have spent a lot, a large portion of growing up being very much ready for something catastrophic to happen. Yeah, like a fight to break out or something extreme to happen. You have to be very Same. reactionary to it. Yeah, yeah. And it's only kind of as that stopped happening as often as it used to that yeah. you get to that right. We can take a minute before we react. We can not immediately react and then cause more trouble. Yeah. Because if something chaotic happens and you go full in guns blazing, you often actually come out of that situation worse off than if you just stepped back. Completely, yeah. And that, yeah. that again talks that like maturity and that introspection. 100%. Right? How do I normally do this? And this normally goes in this direction. And I don't like that outcome, so I should probably yeah. try and do something different. And I, I'm following on to where you are is I'm getting better at going, Yeah. let's put it down for a day come back to it tomorrow and yeah. see how we feel about it then rather than going right fuck this yeah I'm sending this message i'm fuck you fuck you fuck you <laughs> it's your it's your conscious mind battling with your subconscious yeah. all the time uh, and there was um when i was i'm going to use it in inverted commas because in in comparison to a lot of people i didn't fly high but when i was when i felt i was flying high yeah. in my life um i used to have this recurring dream about a plane crash right i dreamed it over and over and over again, I would dream that a plane would crash on my house, a plane would crash in my local park. It would always be a plane crash, and it went on and on and on. 
And I, I never used to kind of look up meanings of dreams, but in the end I was like, what, why do I keep dreaming about a plane crash? And it was your subconscious saying that you're flying high, but at any moment you're your subconscious is worried about it crashing down, yeah, about yeah. your life crashing down around me. And that is what I was worried about. I was worried about losing, working so hard and buying property that I thought was my pension and all this sort of stuff. And I thought, well, I can't possibly lose that because that's my blanket, that's my security. Yeah. But when you lose it, because, you know, there was a time that where I did lose it, it kind of doesn't really mean a lot. You, you lose it and then within a couple of months you're like, okay, Keep it's like you never had it. Yeah. So, you know, yes, you can dwell on it. And I do. I do. And I probably drive my partner mad. You know, I I say, oh, you know, but I had this or I did this. I did whatever. And she always points out, she goes, yeah, but you are in the situation you are now. And this is this is the moment to be worrying about. Yeah. yeah. You, there's nothing you can do then. You can't go back. And there's nothing you can do about tomorrow. All you can do is just do the best you can now, right now. No, that's, that's great. Um, you can plan, but, it, you know, planning can go wrong. Oh, it, 100% it's the thing that you don't plan for that yeah. catches you as well. Yeah. Like, you completely left field that gets you. Yeah. And it's stuff like, say, road trips. You go, right, we've got the hotels, the fuel, the cars, the bar. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've got yeah. breakdown cover, we've got this cover, this cover, this cover. Yeah. And then it'll be something random like a ferry will break down. And you're like, well, there's nothing we could do about there's that. There's nothing we could do We had no that. connection to that And, and it will whatsoever. go wrong for yeah. me, you know. I had, I'd, you know, plenty, a few people have worked for me over the years. I've had people work that are in the industry and they used to sort of spend days with me and they go, do you know what, I've never met anyone so unlucky in my life. And in the end, I used to, we used to have this funny story about, I'm not religious. I don't know whether you are. You no, religion? I'm not. No. I'm not religious at all, okay. And, I, you know, I believe in, um, I'm spiritual. I believe in kind of energies and spirits and that's a belief I've had for ages. I think there's too much going on in the world to think that there's, nothing no energy at all mm. but i've not believed in a kind of a, a, a supreme being or a god or anything like that so um but i used to have this recurring joke that there would be say a god and like their right hand man and they'd be looking down on me like the, the truman show and they'd be going like how's it going for paul today and he go yeah it's it's going all right you know he's done this today and he's done that today <sighs> i blow out one of his tires yeah just do that and then you blow out the tyre and then like you go, um, pfft, do you know that's not stopped him, has it? Blow out the engine, just do that. And, and I felt that there was always someone looking down going like, just, just fuck up his day. Yeah, yeah. Just fuck it up. Like in a previous life, you must have been a right dickhead. I think that. <laughs> I must have been awful in my previous life. But look, there's, there's um, again, it's, it's hanging on to the things that are positive. Yeah. And personally, I do believe that Unless it's very self-inflicted, because there are people that self-inflict their problems massively on themselves. Yeah, they're like self-fulfilling prophecies a lot of the time. And, you know, there are people that, you know, like, for example, I'm not, I haven't got bad, say, habits with anything. I've never really drunk a lot. I've never been in, never had any issues with drugs or been into drugs. But you get these people that, they make conscious decisions to follow a path. Yeah. I get that there's escapism and I get that you can get really sucked in with it. However, mm. you do make conscious decisions that I'm going to take more, I'm going to do more, I'm going to hang around with these people, I'm going to go down that path. So there's a certain amount of you took the first step. You did. And there's a certain amount of you need to kind of take ownership of your situations. You have to. And if you're in a situation that is bad for you or in a situation that you know is not good, 
Because there's a certain amount of you can get pulled into it and then say, for example, with addictive substances, you lose a lot of your control. You do. And you lose a lot of your perspective. Eventually. Yeah. But you are the one who's got yourself to that level. Yeah. There's, it's a real difficult line to talk just because it it, it, there's a certain amount of these things happen consistently to everyone. Therefore, we kind of have to assume that that's how it works. Yeah. And there's a certain amount of personal opinion is you did this to yourself. There's a, yeah. it's a very difficult kind of there line. Is a to, you, you, yeah. I, and I am not black or white and I understand that there are 50 shades of grey. Yeah, yeah. There are. And, you know, upbringing and, you know, you don't understand. You know, I heard, a, I had a friend when I was growing up and um, uh, they had a situation where the dad was no longer around. The mum had very bad mental health problems. And then they went to live with the grandparents and technically went to stay with their uncle. Now, they were young at the time, uh, 14, 15, and the uncle was a, was a drug dealer. Yeah. And his partner was also, she would just steal everything. And then this person I knew just got pushed drugs on them, like cocaine and everything, at, at 14, 15 yeah. years old. You know, look, when you're that impressionable, you're going to go down a path, you know, or it's going to be extremely hard not to go down that path. Yeah. So I get there. there is all this grey area, but... When you get older, you still are making decisions to, and I've done it, I can turn around and say it was all bad luck. Or I can turn around and say, I made a decision to associate myself with that person. Mm. I made a decision to get jump in bed financially with this person. That, that was on me. I made that decision. Yeah, and this is what we say, but like, there's the ownership of the problem. Yeah. And that is, well, I, I was in the person that made that decision. In hindsight, it was a bad decision or I didn't yeah. think it through or I reacted and yeah. chose that path. But the only person that can be responsible for that decision being made is, is me. me. Yeah. So, you know, you can say this person shafted me, this person did that. But, you know, I, I allowed them to do that. I got them to a situation where I exposed myself enough to, to be affected in a massive way from yeah. certain people. So you definitely have to take ownership of that. But a lot of people do have a lot of bad luck but I think no matter how bad your luck is who you get involved in or your situation if you stop to let the smoke clear there will always be something positive Mm. whether it's an opportunity for a good job a partner you have your children family certain friends you've just got to because honestly I've been to the lowest of the lows yeah yeah you know and you know, I won't go into it too much, but there's been real, almost touch and go moments where I was like, "What the hell is the point?" Yeah. But you get into a bit of a selfish whirlwind where it's like, take yourself out of that desperation. There are people rooting for you, yeah, or that need you to feel better. And when you're feeling that low, like those are the people you have to cling on to. For me, at the time, it was my children. Yeah, my children just needed me to be the best version of me they could um and i had to learn how to be a single dad and raise my kids half the time i have my kids half custody yeah so i I see them a lot a lot um but you have to shield you have to pretend you're fine yeah there's especially when you're with like your kids yeah because there's a certain amount of well they're not actually mentally mature enough to actually comprehend this and all i'm going to do is cause them yeah. harm yeah there's a certain amount of right they don't need exposing to this 
yeah. until they're mature enough to understand what life is like. Yeah. And there's a certain amount of you have to make sure that they're okay with talking to you about stuff. Yeah. And that they're not shielding from you. Yeah. Because you're supposed to be the person that they turn to for that advice or that help or like your parents made it a comfortable environment for yeah, you to very talk much about. So, yeah. But there's this weird like balancing act of right, yeah. I need them to feel like they can talk to me about stuff, but I don't want to burden yeah. them because then they'll carry something that isn't theirs to carry kind of thing. And it's it's interesting when you see people coming from these dark places and managing with the difficulties that you have to manage. You, mm. you don't just get fixed. There's no yeah, no. Done. And I think that's the reason why you know Speedbroker has been a bit of a slow burner getting started. There's two reasons for that: the current business. So I I initially went in with a business partner who was an ex client, and they were going to always have a back seat. But we had a very clear path of what my role was, what their role was. Yeah. And the idea was we were going to get a facility. There was going to be a consortium of people who we knew. Yeah. They were going to help fund the facility. We were going to do all their work for trade or next to nothing, and we would have a hub to trade out of. That didn't happen. The person who I went into business with, who is absolutely lovely, we're still great mates, um, got offered an extremely good opportunity in the Middle East right. and went off there uh, two and a half years ago, yeah. leaving you know, his, his place at Speedbroker completely null and void, um, which meant I had to sort of completely go a different way for the business. The second reason why it's been a slow burner is because the people who have made my life so much better in terms of uh, getting through divorce and business collapse, etc., were my kids. Mm. And because I wanted that custody, I was prepared to, uh, you know, spend my money to have the time with them. Yeah. So if it means that I lose a couple of days a week work because I've got to spend it with them, brilliant it means i get to do school runs yeah i get to see all their sports days and concerts and take them to their friends you know they'll be out there you know in five years time they won't want to know they'll be chilling with their mates and doing all their sort of stuff you'll just be dad we don't care yeah so this is the vital time and i always want my kids to say my dad always had time for me yeah didn't work late you know I do work late on the days I don't have them, very late, like one in the morning. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, on the days that I do have them, I'm I'm dad. Yeah. I'm not going, right, I've got to pop out and do this. Right, I've got to take this business call. I've got to do that. I just shut off. I'm dad. That's that's what we do. Because having half custody, that time has to be 100% quality. Yeah. And that was always my focus. So, again, the opportunities that have come my way um, that require me to take time away from my kids non-negotiable sorry yeah it's not going to happen i'm going to spend time with my kids you know well doesn't that affect your income yeah give a shit i don't care yeah i'm not bothered that's the priority yeah that's their priority that's your silver lining as well for the dark days 100 percent. is that that and then like my my partner now is just you know the most amazing partner i could wish for and does so much for me almost kind of i'll call it back office stuff Yeah, yeah where all the kind of other bits or worries she tries to take away from me because she knows I've got a lot on my plate. Mm. I don't want to put much onto her. I, I try and put as little on as I can, but she totally got my back. Yeah. And that's hard to find. Yeah, Someone who's is. really got your back. That's a partner. Yeah, exactly. And that, you know, so now I feel very, very lucky. We should talk about cars. We probably should talk about cars. Let's talk about cars. But the conversation is interesting. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
I I know this is the morning drive and it's a car thing. Yeah. But the the real point isn't what car stories have you got. As as much as I like mm. the car stories and as much as I'm happy to have the mm. car stories, it's about just being people. We 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 connect over cars, right? That's how we know each other is thanks to cars. Um and like with the coffees and car mornings, the reason that they exist is to bring people together. Mm. It's not to see who's got the nicest car. Yeah, to 100%. Show yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's got the fastest or who's spent the most money on their Lamborghini yeah. or anything like that. It's to bring people together. And that's what this exists for is it's an opportunity to use cars to connect, get people coming together, sharing these stories, talking about who they are and where they come from and yeah. feeling like it's okay to talk about this sort of stuff because it's quite personal stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. not like... yeah. You're a famous person and everybody knows this. No. It's quite personal. Yeah. And it would be remiss of me to not acknowledge that it it isn't easy to come by these conversations mm. a lot of the time. I can't walk into a business meeting and then in 20 minutes be sat chatting about a guy's history with his kids and this yeah, and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these, these conversations exist as an example. There's no expectation for what direction they go in. There's no expectation for mm. what stories are shared and what isn't shared and what car stories have. Nothing like that. This is exactly what this is for, mm. is an opportunity to go, this bloke does car stuff. It's really cool car stuff. But he's also a bloke. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it is important to know what makes people tick, I think. Yeah, exactly. And Especially with our online kind of... Uh, people get an impression of us yeah. through our, you know, what oh, when we put I, out online. When I first started doing Tacona, my idea was it's going to seem like a, a company, it's going to seem like a brand. It's we're this, we're that. Mm-hmm. And as it's developed, and as I've been more involved as a person, and as I'm being not known, but I'm getting a bit of a reputation, <laughs> that's what actually makes things interesting. Yeah, yeah, it gives yeah. a shit that it's got a martini livery on it. Oh, 100%. And you know what? Actually, what happens with the car community is that I'd like to think I know a lot of people in the community, like many, many, many people um, through whether they've been a client or teddy bear run, sporting bears, all these different you know aspects. Yeah. But as the years have gone on, I know people sort of, I think people use the term friend in a community, car community, Too extremely easy. loosely. Yeah. You know, they're not your friend. You know, are they there at two o'clock in the morning if, like, you need to go into hospital? No. Yeah. Not at all. Okay? They're your mates. But, you know, there are certain people, like, you were at Goodwood the other day. Yeah. And uh, Simon Everidge put up a selfie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Simon has turned into a really good mate of mine. Simon is a great guy. Yeah. And Simon and I, you know, we, we've we met non-car related and, you know, been to his house. I do a lot of work on his cars as well. You know, he's a speed broker client. Yeah. He is. And he's always rallied round after my business and, and, and I think but, Simon might be the first person in the car world that I and this isn't to detract from anybody else in the car world that I have seen actively engage with every small business he's come across yes he came across me asked me to do a bespoke t-shirt for him yes came across Terry who came with me to Goodwood yeah he's had bespoke stuff of him pop bang colour every he's time he, he, he finds out about someone in the car world that's yeah new and starting up and he'll be loyal yeah he gets involved straight away that's the thing he will be loyal and and it's very hard to find and what again where i've had this old business that did so much valeting so much detailing we were the in popular thing when gumball had been done we were just the thing to go to yeah by anyone and everyone 
and everyone wanted to be my friend. And we were franchising out the business and it was super popular. And then when I got unwell and things really started to take a turn, all these people that I was their best mates, where are they now? You know, half of them, 60% of them vanished off the face of the earth. Because I'm no longer exciting or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah there's no value. However, to as speed brokers getting a lot more traction, they're starting to sort of reappear. Yeah. The difference is now I can right, pick mate, and choose. Yeah, like, pick. I can pick and choose who I want to now be associated with. Yeah. Because I feel I've got to that level of maturity where it's like, look, do I want the short term win and the business, or do I want a long term loyal client who is going to kind of have the business's back? And knows I'm going to do the best I possibly can by them. Yeah. And they'll stick around when things get a little bit tougher. Yeah. And that was the same with the YouTubers, the minor celebrities, off the face of the earth. Yeah. You know, I had one message me recently. Um, well, so here it is. It's from a reality show. Okay. Right. I won't There's say enough which one. of those around. So. Yeah, it's from a reality show. Yeah. Okay. Um, wasn't a client of mine back then, but one of their friends from the show was a good client of mine. And they messaged and said, um, oh, hi, mate, I've got a project I'm doing at the moment. I'm very good friends with X. Um, I'm sure we can do something where, you know, you can, you can help us out. And straight away, I looked at that, I was like, they want something for free. Yeah. Because they've heard about something I'm doing or a project I'm on. And they want to kind of like, whenever they say... Um, we can sort something what's out. The, what's, the, what's this word? Um, you Exposure. Know where, no, you know where people do... Uh, how can I not remember this word? It's so ridiculous. Um, you know where they a collab oh, everything's yeah. a collab everything's a collab everything's yeah. a collab right so it's like yeah perhaps we can collab I was like oh here we go collab yeah, that's what I'm doing this for really is I want you to validate the cars yeah part. yeah exactly right so a collab is like you do something for free and I'll share it and we'll do something audience. yeah and then and then that's what it is and again I'm not averse to do that I mean I'll, I'll be honest there's um, probably two or three people that uh, you know, I'm very into boxing. Yeah, love I love boxing, um, and I, I was very into motor racing. And I was lucky to have a few kind of XF1 drivers as as, um, as clients in my old business. Um, and I really, you know, like these are people that I was like, oh my god, yeah, how the hell am I talking to, to these people? Um, I've been having a lot of, more of those moments in the last six months. Yeah. Now that this is, it's not known, but it's getting a little bit yeah, yeah, of yeah, yeah. credibility. The, and you'll the, be stood there and you go, that's, that's so-and-so. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the most surreal, the most surreal moment I've ever had, I always say this, this thing. So um, Mark Blundell used to be a client of mine who's the XF1 driver and Le Mans racer and all this yeah. sort of stuff. Uh, we still chat every now and again, Mark and I, but um, I used to look after all his cars and whether they needed paintwork or wheel refurbs, anything, it used to come through me. And he used to pay me very, you know, he always insisted, I want to pay, I don't want anything for nothing. Yeah. Really wicked guy, really, really nice guy, Mark. And I got to know his family and his sons and all this sort of stuff. He invited me to, um, he was doing a Legends race um, at GT3, but it wasn't GT3, it was a sub race done in Scirocco Oz. Right, okay. It was called the Legends Race Series. And he invited me as a VIP uh, to the VW uh, hospitality I t- and I took my dad he said you can bring my dad so we turned up at, um, you're running out of juice this, this mic is okay. plug that mic um, so, so we turned up at Silver uh, at Brands Hatch and went to the 
you know, this VIP enclosure. We got in there for breakfast. Yeah. So Mark said, hello, me and my dad sat down at this table. So Mark came down, he sat next to me. So then it was um, me, my dad, Mark Blundell sat down, Martin Brundle sat down, who else? David Coulthard sat down, um, Lewis Hamilton's brother sat down, Lewis Hamilton's dad sat down, um, <laughs> Perry McCarthy sat down. Um, who else sat down at his table? Um, who else was there? David Coulthard, Martin Brundle. Uh, there was a couple of others. I honestly can't remember who they were offhand. I w- it will come to me, and I feel terribly bad that I can't remember. And I was sitting there, <laughs> eating breakfast, eating like a, um, like <laughs> just like cold meats and cheeses and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. My dad was sitting next to me, and I, I didn't even look up. I was like, what the hell am I doing on this? How am I on this table having yeah, breakfast yeah. with all these people? And they're, like, and they're just chatting to me like, <laughs> yeah, like chatting to me like normal or whatever. And they're having these, you know, proper conversations about, you know, asking my opinion on things and have I had a look at the car and have I done this? And I'm just blagging it. I'm just like, yeah, 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 I have. And yeah, it looks all right. And all this sort of stuff. The wheels are all attached. Yeah, yeah it's fine. <laughs> it was the most bizarre experience of my life. Um, but yeah, it does go to show like what, what the car community can sort of drag you into oh yeah you can have um, like my go-to is always my night with a p1 gtr in london yeah yeah just yeah, yeah. a nice bloke with this car yeah like, can we take some photos yeah and you end up stood there going yeah that's a, a five million pound yeah. car there and we're just stood yeah putting my t-shirt on the bonnet of it for a photo and but but it's the fact that you don't um like i didn't say can i be invited to this or can i meet this person i was tiff tiff nadell was there as well oh, lovely. tiff was on the table yeah. and there was there was more than that but it was there was no one else apart from me my dad and then all these ex-race drivers <laughs> that was it that was it right um and but it's like you're being invited there because they recognize you've been good to them as yeah, a service. The, the value of who you are. You know, you haven't pushed it and said, I'd love to meet this person, I'd love to come to here, I'd love to have tickets for that. Yeah. You're just like, please come along, it'd be great. And they treat you with such respect and, you know, like you're one of them. And Yeah. They're very nice moments, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's funny to a, think about. I had a weird one the other day. So it was the, the Savile Row concourse. Yes. A couple of weeks ago. It was on my yeah. birthday, actually. And... Um, I went down, a friend of mine has a, a shop on Savile Row, so she was like, oh, come down and we'll give you one of the little VIP passes that you can go and have free champagne and stuff. And there was a guy there. So I've met this guy twice, once at the Bista Sunday Scramble, and once Haggerty did a hill climb at Charles de Walsh, mm-hmm. and he was there. And he's got this lovely 964 like race car. Really nice car, really nice guy, very well-spoken. Yeah. Lovely. I think his name's Chris. Don't know him. Yeah. I've met him twice. He's been really friendly and really polite every time I've met him. And I was stood with someone from the, the concourse thing next to this stage where they had um, Jackie Ix on stage, mm-hmm. chatting away. And he stood in front of Jackie Ix with a cardboard face of Jackie Ix that he's made just to take the piss out of him because he's his mate. Mm. I was like, oh, there's Chris, I think. I'm sure his name's Chris. Oh, there's Chris. What's he doing? And then I looked and there was like six camera pe- people with like proper cameras like press people all taking photos of him I was like who the fuck is this guy yeah yeah because every time I've met him he's just been a car bloke I've helped him push his car into the pits when we've had to start it up and he's come and said hello when we've been starting my car and just been a car bloke 
Yeah. And then you go into another world of Savile Row and people that are quite famous. Mm. And he's someone. And you're like, oh, he's just a nice bloke. Because he had no reason... Nice people are nice people. Yeah. doesn't matter what background they're from, how much money they've got, what they've done in life. Nice people are nice people. And... But I, I, I find it's harder to come across nice people who haven't got a, you know, a, an ulterior agenda. motive. Yeah. Yeah. I find it, it's odd because you'll find people that have got a lot of money, so yeah. therefore they don't have to have an agenda. No. Will often be quite nice if Can they're be. a nice person. Yeah. There's a lot of people with a lot of money that aren't nice and that's mm. how they've got their money. Yeah. But there's a few people that are nice and have money and therefore don't need it. They're not proving anything. No. They're not utilising an, an acquaintance as a stepping block. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. Oh, my God. Um, it's something I want to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get on to that. Um, but there, there are a few of these, like, gems yeah. where it's like, oh, they've got no reason other than to be nice. Yeah. Because they've got no, there's no gain. They're not getting anything from... Yeah. Not that I have much to offer. But there's, there's not that. And that's when you find some genuine people yes. who are lovely. yes. Because you're outside of that world of... This is what you need to be outside of. You need to be outside of people... You know, like, this drives me to absolute despair. And again, it's an Instagram thing. It drives me mental. So, one, it's people who have beefs with other people, okay? But then the next week, they're best mates because it just so happens that, you know, they can help each other stepping stone up to more followers or whatever it might be. The second thing that drives me absolutely mad is people constantly atting other people to try and get them to then push them up. Oh, my... It drives me mad. It's like, oh, yeah, just seen so-and-so, da-da-da-da-da. You know, um, we're mates or we're this or whatever, and they're not. And it's just they're constantly calling and calling and calling. Please, please, please... Please respond to me. Please Please, help me, please help me. And then they'll get a retweet and then they'll retweet and, and be like, oh, yeah, look, I've got a retweet from this person. It's like, oh, my God, like, please stop. You've got to stop it. Yeah. Just forge your own path. Do your own thing. Be an individual. Like, you can do it on your own. Yeah, yeah. You can. Yeah. So what if you... I I say to everyone, it's much better to have 100 followers and every single one of those followers has your back. Yeah. Than 100,000 that would not piss on you if you're on fire. Yeah. I, I would much rather have that. You know, and... A lot of these followers, you know, that yes, they'll follow you when there's good times, but then they'll be more than happy to watch as well if, you, if your sink ships. Yeah. You know, ship, ship sinks. Sink ships, that's not a thing, is it? Sink ships. Only if you're trying to float your ship. Ships sink, sink, ships. Sh- say that 25 times really fast. Not even going to try. No. I know I can't do it. Don't bother. <laughs> yeah. I know my limits. Sink, ship, but it, sink, but it's, ship, sink. It's, it's true, mate. It's true. Um, yeah, and there's, there's a lot of it, and there's a lot of that... Um, oh, you're a person of X value to me. Mm. Use that to get to the next level, and it happens like all the time. Trying to use it like a video game, and you're just an NPC that's got a quest for yeah. all that sort of crap. Like I have uh, very occasionally a few conversations with people that have a lot of followers and a lot of perceived influence yeah, 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 and stuff yeah, yeah. like that. And it's funny the ones that have large followings and stuff. Some of them, and the ones that I've encountered, have been lovely, and they don't expect anything. They there's no oh, I'm chatting to so-and-so. I, I don't, I have no intention of doing that because I think it's shitty. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to say the people that I talk to. I'm no, not going to be sharing that, the fact that I'm different. talking to them. If you're doing something legitimate for them, like if you're doing this podcast or I'm doing a job for them or something's happening, yeah, well, you're actually game, working for them, then, you know, it's, it's more than fine to be like, I've done this. But if you, I don't know, say if they've, 
put a picture up of again it's but it's me and again I don't think I'm quite equipped to be in the world of social media there's a flip side of there are people that aren't as say let's say there's some people with a million followers right yeah they've got a pretty big influence they've got a, a large audience the ones of those that I've encountered have been lovely they don't expect anything they don't ask for anything yeah they're either doing something with you yeah or they're, they're too busy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if they're doing something, especially with me, it's because they believe in what I'm doing. Yeah. Which is great. And I have all the time in the world for that. And I will annoyingly be probably pestering almost just to try and go, shall we have a coffee? Like, I, I met one recently and every time I've seen them, someone has walked up and gone, can I have a selfie? Can I have a selfie? Can I have yeah, a selfie? Yeah, yeah. And I message saying, best of luck to you for the next couple of days. It's, I imagine it takes a lot of energy. I, yeah. I don't want to be... Can we do this? Can we do that? It's like, right, I'll leave you alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you're going to yeah, be yeah. fucking knackered because everybody in the mum knows who you are. And then you'll get someone that's, say, 100,000 followers, right? Which in this day and age, now that Instagram's as big as it is, isn't the biggest, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's still a reasonable number. But they'll think they're the, the other person. Of course. And they will treat people like they're the other person. With total disdain, yeah. But the other person's actually genuine. Of course. <laughs> and they'll treat people like people. And I've seen it play out in front of me really quite hilariously. So someone that I know that is, they're a professional racing driver, right? They're very young. They're a professional racing driver. And they're at the top of their game. They're winning a lot. And there was this influencer or whatever that's on the 100,000 mark, right? At a show. Kid walks over and says, nice to meet you. Wonder if we could possibly do something together. Be good, some good content for you. Something like that. I've got a racing car, blah, blah, blah. Influencer didn't listen to any of it. Turned around and goes, oh, you want an autograph? And the kid's like, no. No, do you want an autograph? Yes, yeah. yeah. that racing yeah. car over there yeah. and all yeah. those do trophies. Want, do you want one from me? Yeah, and the kid's like, no. And then at the end of the day, we're all wrapping up because we're all at this event and I've got a stand and that and we're like next to each other. We're all wrapping up. Influencer's doing his wrap-up video. Walks over to this kid's stand, picks up one of his trophies. like, yeah, just got the trophy. And the kid's looking at him like, Put it down. And I'm looking at him like, yeah. I, I, I suggest you put yeah, it down yeah, before this down. video takes a turn. Because yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, this yeah. kid's going to just come and run over you or something yeah, like yeah. that. And then he'll get all the, the views. So, I was assaulted by a racing yeah, yeah. But it, at the same time, the guy with the millions of followers, I bumped into one of them recently. And in the five seconds I got before they were like mobbed for selfies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Turn around, first name basis. How's it going? Hope you're okay. We'll have to catch up when we get a chance, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it, I've never like met them face to face before, and it's it's look, such a weird world. Yeah, that... I think look, I think for me, if someone's genuine, they have passion, and they have some sort of a, a guiding as to where they want to be in life. I've got a lot of time for them, but if someone just wants to be well known, yeah, just wants to get loads of exposure. And doesn't really have the passion. They just want to be seen as the next biggest thing. I have very, very limited time for them. I just that that's just the way that I've been burnt by a lot of people who I think are like that. Yeah. Very, very burnt. And now going back to this whole thing about whether you drive a fiesta or a course or whatever, look, as long as you're passionate about it and it, it brings you fun and enjoyment, I've got all the time in the world for you. I don't care what you drive. Tell yeah, me a story yeah. about your car, you know? 
or if someone's got a Bugatti, but they're an absolute arsehole, I've got no time for you. Yeah. I don't care what car you drive. It doesn't bother me. I'm, not in, I'm actually not interested in the car because I'm not interested in you. Yeah, yeah. I won't be interested in the car because I want to put pictures of it and say I know the person and, and, and you know, better myself. If, they're not, if I don't think they're a decent human being... Yeah, they can... They can, they can, they can I don't care what you've got. The, the thing that takes us out of the normality of that situation is that we'll encounter enough people with Bugattis mm. and one of them will be decent. So yeah, we'll have that conversation yes, at some point. Yes. We don't need no. that to be our only encounter no. with Bugatti. No, and I've never had a Bugatti, so you know I can't give you that you know experience. But that's you know. all right. The guy with the P1 GTR has got two. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Well, why do you need these cars? Why do you need so many cars? He drives them. It's great. Yeah, I that's quite a good thing. Yeah. There's but videos it, it, of him doing donuts around a dirt track in a Lamborghini Miura. Just so this is <laughs> this has always been my thing. So my my the reason why I've owned so many cars is because. I've wanted to, I've not wanted to be that guy online that likes a particular type of car, like likes a Type R or likes an M car or likes an AMG. That's his whole and then, personality. And then be rubbishing the other car. It's like, I've been that person who's like, okay, I'm going to try that as well. I'm going to buy that. Yeah. And I'm going to run that. And that is, why, that is the reason why I've owned so many cars. People have said, oh, that's a really cool car. I want to get into that. Cool, I'll go and buy one. Cosworth, I'll go and buy Cosworth. Or yeah. in Pretzels, I'll go and buy a Pretzel. Or an Evo, I'll go and buy an Evo. So I wanted to try them. Yeah, well, you're in an M4 at the minute. And the last Facebook post I saw from you is, I'm not one to talk about no, cars not. much, but this thing's wicked. That, that car, so I have definitely turned into an M fan. Like, mm. I've always been an M fan, always. Um, my first M car was an E36 M3, non-Evo, 3 litre. That's my first car, and I bought M car, and I bought that in... Uh, 99 or 2000 right. didn't have it that long i didn't think it was amazing actually back then well the e36 is kind of the the rotten egg it's a bit it's it's quite fat yeah um its performance isn't incredible i've had and then i started getting into e46s i had many 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 e46s like i don't even know how many now but i've had like an acs3 so supercharged schnitzer 330 um i've probably had 11 330s 10 325s maybe if uh, m3s i probably had uh eight nine e46 m3s um i've just sold in the last year i've sold three right um which are my cars and i've i've kind of got this my love for m cars is just seems to really be growing now right um where I, I'll just stay stay on record now from experience, things like TVRs, absolutely not. And I apologise if anyone's listening, because I know many TVR owners that think they are the cat's pajamas. Not in a million years would you see me in a TVR. I'm actually quite scared of them. I think a TVRs are going to kill me. I do. Well, they're all fiberglass with a lot of power and a V8. I don't even care about the power. I'm I'm happy with the power. I think a TVR is either going to kill me by fire. Right. <laughs> or by being trapped in it. Yeah, because the door mechanism is yes. not normal. And, door, and it went on a Tuscan, I got trapped in. So even the, the, the backup release, so solenoid stopped working, then the battery died, and then the backup release was seized. I could not get out of the car, right? I was so, I was petrified, right? So the only TVI that you could theoretically have is a convertible, because then you could at least so, take the roof off. So I had a Tamora, right. which I quite liked, but then that had a few issues, that had a few running issues, and... Uh, yeah, a few problems with it. So I had a Tamora. Um, what else did I have? I did have another one, but I can't remember what it was now. 
Uh, Cosworths. No, I can't get on board with Cosworths either. I can't. I've owned an Escort. I've owned a SAF. No, I just can't get on board with them. I, I really struggle to see the value. And again, I've got real Cosworth fans and mates and they swear on it. You're alienating all of your friends at this point. Good, good. <laughs> this, is the, this is the thing about cars. I can't see the value in a Cosworth. I can't, I don't know where it's come from. And I think that people now, they go, nostalgia, isn't it? That's an Escort Cosworth, they're like, it's the absolute holy grail of a car. You didn't think that when you could pick one up for seven grand. Otherwise you'd have bought one. You didn't think that. Yeah. You were saying they were rubbish. I don't think they're rubbish. I have to say that. It's just they're not for me. I've had too many crappy experiences with, with yeah. Cosworths. So, again, I've experienced it. Not for me. Um, the two cars that probably gave me the... The two most fun cars I've owned that gave me the most joy, three actually, was a little Elise. Yeah. Early one. Series one Elise. Just so much fun. Like yeah. the most fun you can have in a car. And uh, probably my Evo 8 FQ 330, those two I probably loved the most in terms of enjoyment. enjoyment yeah. And then Impressor P1, that came quite close. Um, Have you seen the new 500 grand Pro Drive thing? Yeah, they keep doing this though. It's like, I saw it at Goodwood. What do you think? It looks like an Impreza. So 22, it basically looks like a 22B, doesn't it? It's yeah. like a wide-body, three-door... Yeah, um, it just looks like an, every other Impreza. Yeah, That's I mean... That's the difficulty. Like, I imagine it's amazing. I imagine it drives great. I imagine the carbon yeah, fibre's done really well. It will. I imagine it's the perfect Impreza. Half a million quid. But it's half a million pound, and it looks like an Impreza. Like, we were walking around the paddock, and I, we were like, I think that's it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. It could just be a 22B. It could just be a 22B yeah, yeah, yeah. or a P1 that's been like, yeah, trimmed yeah, down or something. Yeah. Whereas with the Singer, you go, that's a Singer. Yes. Which is its comparative. Yes. For half a million quid. You go, that's a Singer. It's got the wide arches with the deep fooks and yeah, the centre yeah, yeah. fuel cap and blah, 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 blah. You know it's a Singer. There was one at um, Retro Ride, just parked in with all the other cards on the, on, at Goodwood on the circuit. They have a load lined up down the track. And it's mm. like Corsa, Nova, Singer. Mm. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. VW. You're yeah. like, there's a bloody Singer there. There's a Singer there. But the, the P1, now I haven't spent any time in it. And I only the had... AP1. I've never been in AP1. Amazing. And I've not, certainly not been in this one. Yeah. But from first impression, I was underwhelmed by it. I mean, they've sold all 25, so it doesn't matter anyway. They've made their money. The, the P1 for me was a, was a, for me, was a very, very special car. Very. It felt different. I had a Turbo 2000, which didn't feel anything like it. And then I had a Hawkeye. Uh, which again didn't feel. I mean, I'd, I'd love an RB320. Right. I'd love one, and if one comes up and I can jump on it and it's reasonable money, I'd love to jump on it. Um, but the P1, it just seemed quite a special thing when you were driving it. It just seemed that little bit better, and didn't feel. It just it felt like you were driving something special. Yeah. In, in my my eyes, anyway. So that was, I've got many regrets of cars I've sold, many, many, many regrets. But I'd say the P1 was probably my, not because of value, just because I don't think, 
I'd be able to buy another one. Like yeah. certainly not for a budget not I'd be happy it in with. The same way that you would before, because if they get more expensive, then you don't drive them as you yeah. would when they weren't. If you're going to buy a sixty thousand pound Impreza, yeah, it's just going to be locked away. Yeah, I'm not going to drive it. It's, you're going to be more, you know. But what I've got now, the M, the M4, the the Maserati, I've still got, is still with me for for a while. I don't know how long it, it it's going to be with me. Um, so that's a Gran Turismo, isn't it? Yeah, at Gran Turismo S, which I absolutely like. That was the car I, I saw them. They got released in two thousand seven, and they were like one hundred and twelve grand. Mm. And I always loved the shape. I thought they were one of the most the prettiest cars I've ever seen. They've obviously got that Ferrari soundtrack. Yeah, like yeah. it's basically. I know someone that's put an X pipe on their exhaust. Oh, it's mad. It's amazing. They're they're mad. So the the car it sounds amazing. It looks amazing. Um, it's very refined. I think where it falls down, it's not. Um, I wouldn't say it was a. It's not a particularly lively car. Right. You know, it's not. It doesn't have a lot of feeling through the corners. It's. It, it feels more like it is a GT car. It's a comfortable, big GT car that sounds really nice. Yeah. For me, I want a little bit more driver engagement. I'd love to keep it. I would keep it because mm. it's such a nice car to be in. Um, and it is sort of a sense of occasion, and yeah, yeah, and, and people who don't know cars think it's a very expensive car. Yeah, um, the M4 just ticks all the boxes, really. It's just yeah, I think I'm after an M2 after we've bought a house. Brilliant cars. Yeah. Well, I, I have this. Yeah. I have these certain requirements I need. Yeah. Because I'm not in a position to have four yeah. cars. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it needs to have enough boot space to get my gazebo in yeah 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 the back seats need to be able to fold down because I've got things that are longer than a suitcase yeah but it still needs to be fun and engaging yeah and if I'm going from an 86 it needs to be a little bit quicker yes that's they're my like criteria and the only cars that I can do that with are an M2 yeah or a GTR no G- GTR is G- much smaller than an M2 inside GTRs are smaller <laughs> inside, and also then you're going into the whole world of GTR ownership yeah. and GTR maintenance. And as, as as much as people say they aren't that costly to run, they are. I yeah, can, yeah, I can tell you they are. Um, I met a guy who won one the other day, so he won one on those. I might know this. Who this is? It was a black one. Oh, was it? Oh, I yeah, know somebody no. who won a Daytona blue one from Seven Days Performance. No, it was. Yeah. Oh, where were we? We're in the south somewhere. Um, it's going to annoy me that I can't remember where we were. But anyway, we went round anywhere near here. We were either in the Midlands or in Essex or something like that. But this GTR pulled up. I was waiting for my other half. I said hello. Obviously, I'm sat in the 86. So I, I, it's recognisably mm-hmm. a sports car that's mm-hmm. covered in stickers. Got chatting. He went, oh, I actually won this. I was like, oh, hats off to you. And it's a bloody nightmare. Mm. It cost me X amount in tyres. It cost me yeah, Y yeah, amount yeah, in yeah, servicing. Yeah. You have to service it every 6,000 miles or whatever it was. Yeah. So it's probably cost me four grand, and I've only had it a year. <laughs> my my mate um, Tom, he's, he's on my Facebook. So I wouldn't. Tom's quite a quiet guy. Um, doesn't go to loads of shows. Real car enthusiast, like through and through. Again, I've dealt with him and his family for for um, m- many years. His brother was on Love Island, right? nice. So got like quite well known. Yeah, and they're yeah. twins as well. So it's oh right. Like, got, like, really so he well walks known. down the street and says, "Oh, it's that guy from Love Island." Yeah, exactly right. No, so, um, but Tom's very quiet and unassuming. Um, but he's really into his cars. He's had some lovely cars over the years. And um, he won a 600 LT. Oh, nice. He won a 600 LT, right? But it's the same with him. Like, even though Tom, I don't know if you listen to this or not, even though he's not, he's not short of a bit of money, 
and he does okay for himself. He was like, I, I don't want this car. Yeah. I was like, why not? He goes, I don't know where to park it. I'm going to worry about it constantly. Like, what if it gets damaged? What if I have to service it? What if I have to do this? Yeah, he goes, yeah. so I think, I don't know what happened in the end. I think he got the car and sold it or they offered him a cash alternative and he, and he won the car. Yeah. But he was just like, I, I just don't want this car. It's like, I know I should want it. I just don't want it. Yeah, I yeah. don't want to insure it. I don't want to worry about it. In, in reality, to have a 150, 200 grand car, yeah. you have to have a million quid in the bank. I think so. Just so that you live most don't yeah. most don't a lot of people are they're all bought on, on like 15 1600 pound a month or whatever yeah. but well, realistically th- to drive that car comfortably and not feel like tom did yeah. you have to have that financial security yeah go, right i can park it that's right and not have to worry about what's going to happen yeah yeah like i have almost nothing in the bank so i therefore drive a toyota <laughs> because i'm com- and i still worry about that getting Oh, I worry about everything. Like I worry about everything. I'm I'm a worry. I'm a natural born warrior, so I'm the same. But even though they're terribly unreliable, I still want a 720s in volcano red. That's what I want. It's a very very nice. That's very what I want. Car. I don't. Do you know? I don't care if it bursts into flames because at least I'd enjoy it up until that point. Yeah. Um, I just want. That is something, I'm, I'm not materialistic, but there are certain cars that stick out. Yeah. And I had a dream about one the other night, that I owned one. And, and I had a different driveway, so it obviously means that my driveway is changing, and therefore I can get the McLaren. Yeah. Uh, clearly, it's clearly what it means. You would next to your house. No. No, I know. <laughs> Squeeze. But no one knows my car's there, though. No, it's nice. It's to very out of the way. Yeah. yeah, I had to walk all the way down here. I was like, I'm sure it was the one. <laughs> yeah. I know he's got an M4. It was the one with the M4. And then my missus has got a 240. Is that who's that? Yeah. Right, yeah. I saw that and I was like, well, it's not an M4, so that's not his. We, we love it, yeah. She, she's always, if, we, if we're driving, like, it's because she's really into cars as well. Again, M cars. Um, if we're driving together, she'll always try and, you know, give me a little... <laughs> Give me a little race. We can't do that. One of our cars is a Renault 5. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. She gets dusted every time anyway. She's probably listening right now. My, my other <laughs> half last year discovered the pleasures of driving late at night on an empty country lane with the windows down and the music Best off. feeling ever. So she, she's got a Skoda Rapid, which is a yeah. golf estate underneath. Yeah, yeah. And um, I can't remember where I was. Oh, I'd broken down in Chelmsford. The Renault had broken down on <laughs> Which, I'm not going to laugh. It's but, happened. You know, again, you know I've that had thing. It five days. And another you know that thing, thing I was telling you about <laughs> making decisions in life. Yeah, yeah, and it's like some of it's your own fault. In all fairness, this is your fault. I love that car, regardless yeah. of when it breaks down. Good, good. Like I have a friend who owns a recovery company, and yeah. normally if it's something serious, I'm I'm yeah. got. He wasn't a friend before you got the yeah, Renault yeah. Five. Now he's a really good friend. No, he's been a guest on the podcast actually. Um, no, he's he's a great guy, and he's, he's become a much closer friend since I got more involved in the West London classic car world. Yeah. And that's purely because he's involved in it a lot and we go mm. to all the same things. There's a nice little community where someone could be a multimillionaire, someone mm. could be me, but we're all friends. Mm. And so it, when this runner breaks down, either I can probably figure it out or I kind of know what it is or I get it recovered home or I get it recovered to his. Like, I'm not, oh my God, it's the end, it's not my only mm. car. When the 86 engine blew up, that scared the shit out of me because I had no car for six months. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I'd broken down in Chelmsford. An off-duty detective had helped push me out of the way, okay. called it in and said, this car's here, it's known. Um, so I was just sat in McDonald's waiting. She comes, picks me up. Oh, the best drive here, because where we lived was in the countryside, so to get to Chelmsford was all really nice country lanes. 
I've had the windows down, I've had the music up, it's been nice and clear, so nobody's been near me. Yeah, no. So she loves it. So last year, did you see that orange Cantera at Petrolanism? That three-seater thing with the... Yes. So I yes. borrowed that for a day. Yeah. We're going to do some, got some photos of it, we we're going to do some promo stuff with them. And it, it went the way it did and the photos never got used, blah, blah, blah. So I was taking it back, so she followed me. She had my bumper the whole way. All these country lanes, really tight, twisty country lanes. We got there, she went, we didn't drive that very quick. I was like, it's 18 foot wide. Mm. <laughs> these country lanes are the width of the car. Yeah. And I'm sat in the middle of the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I expect you to go quicker. I was like, it's not my car. No, no, do you know, this is the thing as well. Like, obviously, I drive a, a lot of cars. Like, I've, I've yeah. driven everything over the years, very runs, all sorts of things. That, and But I drive them. I mean, if you followed me, you'd be like, this is pathetic. Yeah. This is absolutely pathetic. But I'm the custodian. It's not my car. It's not my, you know, consumables and tyres and everything else. Yeah, yeah. They're my clients. And I look after that car as if, you know, my life depended on it. Yeah. I've had clients. I had one client. She's hilarious. I met her, I met her on Gumball, actually. So I had a Ferrari 360. It was on uh, her tracker. I was driving along and she phoned me up. She goes, um... You're not driving very fast. And I was like, <laughs> no. And it, hers was the F1 box, so it's the yeah, pedal yeah. shift. And it's a clumsy old box, that. It is a clumsy old box. She goes, have you given it some? And I was like, no. And she goes, no, to, to utilise that gearbox, you need to be giving it some. I said, no, I've driven them before. Whatever. And she goes, no, but I want you to drive mine. I want you to tell me what you think. And she's like, you're driving, basically. So you're driving like a pussy. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, but and she goes, just drive the car fast. And I was like, okay, I drive the car fast. And it's like, mm, for about like 10 seconds. It's like, yeah, it's great. Anyway, I'm going to go back to driving it like 20 miles an hour. Yeah, because I, I don't want the responsibility of this I car anymore. I applaud cars about, yeah. you know, I want to make that known. <laughs> but everyone knows, I just, it's like, if it's not your car, you have zero right in seeing what that car can do. No. Zero right. And I think that because I, I really pride having a business that like, I, I want people to trust what I'm doing, trust yeah. with their cars, you've got to show it consistently. You know, you're not taking the piss. You're not taking it out when, like, because I know so many people who have, you know, custody of cars and they'll take it out you know actually i'll say something here he'll listen to this okay someone who used to work for me people will know put two and two together we had a, a client in who was kind of a mate of ours it was it was okay in this situation it was okay um but he was coming to pick me up to go to work and we had this car in um and he turns up and he's in this customer's car i was like what are you doing and he's like well or I had to take it home last night because mine's X, Y, and Z. So he's taking this customer's car back to his, then picked me up the next morning, then gone back to work in it. And I literally had to apologise on the spot. I said, so sorry, we've had to, There's you know... There's 20 extra miles on the clock. Now. I'm really sorry, like, this wasn't supposed to happen and I'm going to take full responsibility for it. But he was completely blasé with it, you know, and, yeah, he got absolutely <laughs> bollocked by me and it never, ever happened again. Yeah. But that that's something that happens all the time. Well, I, I have a a story of some I'm going to use the word influencer because I don't know who it was specifically and their million pound supercar right I'm not going to say which one it is because mm. that might also give away yeah. and I don't know the publicity of it but uh, it got pulled over for no insurance so they paid a company to take a car to the south of France and rather than transporting it they were like we'll drive, drive it. it we'll yeah. just put an extra 1500 miles on this person's car yeah, for yeah. and it got pulled over no insurance 
got taken to my friend's recovery company because they work with the police. Um, and then they had to then go, right, this is how... It needs to go on this truck. It needs to go there. It needs to, and they were trying to dodge something to do with the tunnel or something like that. Mm. Um, and then they turned around to my mate and went, well, will you take it? And he's like, absolutely not. This is how you need to do it. And this is how you do it legally. Because it, A, it's not your car. And B, mm. they've paid you to do this service. To do that job. Not drive their car there no. and save yourself 500 quid on a truck. It's, it is amazing what happens in this industry. It really is. You know, uh, most cars I do, I do drive and collect cars, but they don't go far. Yeah. Um, and also, if they, if they hit a certain value... Because, again, insurance is such a, um, such a grey area in the community. I have a policy where, obviously, I'm covered on anything. Yeah. But all these policies have indemnities. They all have different levels of indemnity. I've got a fairly high indemnity. However, a lot of these guys will have a very low indemnity, but it still says they're insured to drive any vehicle. Yeah. They might have a £10,000 indemnity. What's that going to cover if you, I don't know, scratch a Veyron headlight? Yeah, that's done. It's, that's that money done. But you're legally allowed to drive the car. Yeah, you just yeah. only have a ten thousand pound indemnity if something happened. So it is a big grey area um, with, with all these things. Um, a lot of the supercars, the owners will have a policy that will cover drivers that are older anyway. So yeah. that sort of becomes a little null and void. But you have to be extremely careful. If I have anything in that's even remotely valuable. I have a proper conversation and email exchange with the owners. I say, right, how how will the insurance work for road risk? Is it going on my policy? You need to know that this is my insurance. This is my indemnity. Yeah. Um, what is the current value of the vehicle? How How is it going to be covered properly? But a lot don't do it. A lot don't do this. No, because it's chasing that next, that next page. Yeah. If it means I don't have a car in because I don't think it's correctly covered, fine. Yeah. Again, well, there's a certain amount of you, it's your business, it's my business, yeah. You can make those decisions. Like, I've kind of started down this track a little bit of because things are slightly more seen, you get those. Oh, can we do this? Will you send me this? Will mm-hmm. you send, and I've now got like a blanket policy of you buy the first one, yeah, and I'll send you the second one, yeah, but I need that assurance from you that you believe in it yes like you're not doing it for the exposure yes you're not using mental health as your sales tactic because that's not what i'm doing yeah this is the problem as well it's like the in thing it's yeah. like if they if people if everyone pushes mental health like with i think you come across very legitimate from a point where you know it's it's evolved into this mm. from from a place where you see that there's something there that people need to recognize and talk yeah. about more but all the people who seem to, um, like, when one of these incidents happened in the community, the people that seem to jump on it and do these big, long speeches about everything, I was like, well, you didn't say anything, like, beforehand, before yeah. this all happened. It wasn't cool, then. It wasn't cool. You're not getting any, sort of, your, your own exposure. Yeah. Um, again, you know what, though? I can go down a real rabbit hole. I, I talk too much. I don't keep my mouth shut enough. Because I think if something's not right for me, I'll I'll talk about it. Yeah. I don't care whether someone thinks that, oh, God, they, he can't say that. It's like, I'm sorry, but there's a lot in this community that I really disagree with. I think I know what you mean. Re- I really do disagree with it. And, and I, I distance myself from a lot of people a lot of the time because I don't feel comfortable mixing in certain circles in the industry. Hmm. I just want a really nice, happy, friendly, building each other up. Yeah. And, and that- if it's not that, and there's some undertone, 
I have to I have to make distance. Yeah. Have to. No, I'm the same. Like uh, this week, for example, um, I've been feeling really like low energy for everything. And in one of those places, I'm like, I'll just suck it off. Mm. I'm not enjoying it at this very moment, even though I know I will. And it's one of those like, right, you need to stop, take a minute. Why are you doing it? What do you yeah, enjoy? Yeah, yeah. Focus yeah. on the good bits and minimise the bad bits. It's like, oh, have I sold enough to do put fuel in the car so I can yeah, get to the next course. show and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. So, well, you weren't doing that when you started. Yeah. You were going to the shows because you like going to the shows. Yeah. So focus on going to the shows because you like going to the shows. And if you can afford to take a T-shirt with you or if you can afford to have a stand, yeah. great. But don't yeah. expect it. Don't put that pressure on yourself. And if you're doing something that was a passion yeah. and you enjoyed and it stops being a passion, you need to stop doing it. Yeah. And you have to understand as well, from your point of view, you know, you and I can never, ever compare ourselves to other people in, this, in the industry because every single person starts from a very different point of backup investment, yeah. you know, capabilities, uh, access to finance. You know, I know people who've started companies with four five hundred thousand pounds in the car industry right i've only had peppercorn money really to start my business i've not had a penny yeah it's peppercorn like yeah. from my money from my yeah, savings yeah. and my but you know it's not it's i'd love to go out and buy a fleet of supercar demo cars and stick them all up with speed broker and go to every show and whatever else yeah, yeah. i can't so it's fine to do what i'm doing and i think you've just got to be really proud of where you are mm. And you've got to own what you're doing at that particular moment. And everyone else, you've almost got to just say, that's their journey. I have no connection to their journey. And good luck to them on their journey. I'm going to be happy here. And this brings us back to what we were saying, A, with the social media stuff, in that it's very easy to compare yourself to someone else who's on a very different path. And you go, oh, they're doing this. Why aren't I doing that? And B, you have to be present in the moment. You have to be taking stock of where you are right now yeah and acknowledge where you've come from to get there and be aware of where you'd like to go and rather than thinking too much about who who's doing what just focus on what you're doing and where you'd like to go with it completely i mean speed broker now i'm i've got to a stage where i've got a lot of clients that are very loyal um i need help with the organization and the back office stuff and I want to now grow to the next stage. I'm not worried about Speedbroker being some great big huge facility with loads and loads of cars for sale. I'm not interested in that. Yeah. My actual idea will be that hopefully next year I'll trade properly from home when when I move at some point. Yeah. Um, and then I can look to it. But at the moment, I've got to the stage where it's like... I'm either going to keep the business kind of... Cause it's very kind of quite a hand-to-mouth business. You know, it's not... There's not ample reserve funds it's kind of it earns we spend on the business it earns we spend on the business it's it's very like that so i've reached a stage now where i've got this partner who really is not involved in the business at all really i'm looking to now um replace him Mm. and he knows this you know this is very open conversation and to get another investor in but i've had interest but i'm very specific yeah in fact there's probably only two or three people I'd actually want to work with. Yeah. But I need to keep putting it out there to see what comes back at me. Yeah, yeah. But at the moment, we, it would, a bit of investment would really... I know exactly what where that would be allocated. And it would definitely boost it to that next that next path. But right now, I'm just working my arse off. Yeah, of course. To make it sustainable. 
just like you know you are yeah i have that last week i i said to my partner i phoned her up i said i'm done i'm done mm. i can't deal with this crap anymore the day I've had the, the the issues, you know, people not sending me the right parts and yeah. p- people being flaky, changing arrangements, you know, everything has an impact on your bottom line. And it's like, you know, you 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 put yourself out to the nth degree, and you think oh, I can't I can't do this crap anymore. And yeah. then the next day you have an amazing day. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, I you know. have it's a great right. day, and and it's like loads of people are using me, and it's great, and I'm getting great feedback, and I've got this contract. It's rough with the smooth, mate. The way the world goes. Rough it's with the smooth. The ups and the downs. Yeah. Well, this has been a podcast done entirely in reverse, basically. We started <laughs> with the mental health journey. Yeah. And we've ended with the cars, yeah. because it's normally the other way around. We're at an hour and 50. Brilliant. So I'm conscious that after that point, that's probably when people's. Let's go take some back. photos. Yeah, let's take some photos of the cars and call it a day. It's quarter past five. So Amazing. It's a full day's work. Yeah. <laughs> Two hours. <laughs> But uh, that will condense so that. Will you condense that? No, it'll be two hours. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's how it goes. People won't listen to me for that long. That's all right. <laughs> if someone does and it gives them something interesting to listen yeah. to, or it helps them yeah. through a tough day, or it keeps them company on a long journey, it's doing its job. Just one person. That's what we need, isn't it? That's all it needs. One person to make a positive difference. Yeah, that's all it needs to be. Yeah. So we'll sign off there. Um, where can people find Speedbroker? Uh, speedbroker.co.uk, Instagram, Facebook. Um, yeah it's probably the best places to do it perfect go and look at those places 